Hey everybody, Matt Camp here with Deal Machine. Uh, we're proud to team up with Tom Zeeb here to give you guys a ton of free stuff. So our goal here is to give you the free toolkit to get out there and start finding off-market deals. Um, we're proud to say we're the highest rated and most reviewed app out there to go find off-market deals. And we've had over 10,000 deals done using the Deal Machine app. Now, when you download it, you can get it for free at tomzeeb.com slash dealmachine, and you'll get a seven-day free trial with that. And jumping into Deal Machine, you'll be able to go out there, start driving for dollars, start pulling lists, start finding the most motivated sellers in your market. And then you can start marketing to them directly. You can skip trace, you can send them postcards, you can knock on their door. There's a variety of things that we can help you out with using our technology. And then from there, you can actually evaluate the deals, You know, comp it, use our AI assistant to help you out there as well. You really to get the full toolkit to go from you know having no real estate experience to landing your first deal using technology. So it's tomzeeb.com slash deal machine for that free trial. With it, if you go through that link, you're going to get $30 free in marketing credits that cover a couple hundred free skip traces or 50 free postcards, give you everything that you need to start reaching out to sellers. So um, get out there and happy deal finding. There's a direct correlation between meaningful sales activity asking people, would you be interested in buying my thing? Would you be interested in sitting down and talking about this opportunity? Are you in the market for and how many sales you make? Because the old adage from Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, that we should always be closing is nonsense. We should always be opening. We should always be creating opportunity. And creating opportunity is as easy as saying, are you interested? Would you be interested? I've got to think. Real estate negotiation is a mystery to most people. It doesn't come naturally, and it isn't taught in school. Yet it's the key to getting what you want in business and life. If you're ready to learn the art and science of effective real estate negotiation and want to learn what it takes to become a successful real estate entrepreneur, then you're in the right place. This is the art and science of real estate negotiation with your host, founder of Traction Real Estate Mentors and president of the Traction Real Estate Investors Association, Tom Zeeb. Welcome back to the Art and Science of Real Estate Negotiation podcast with Tom Zeeb. Very happy to introduce a buddy of mine today who is going to talk about the intersection between negotiation and selling. Oh, yes, selling. So it's Matthew Kimberly. Hey, Matthew. Hey, Tom. Wonderful to have you on In My Life. Wonderful to be here is what I meant to say, but even awesome. more wonderful to have you in my life than that. <laughs> I totally agree, young man. Totally agree. So, Matthew, you're coming to us today from Malta. Sunny Malta, the jewel of the Mediterranean, a little bit north of North Africa, a little bit south of southern Italy, a tiny speck in the middle of the sea where the temperature is pushing 110 degrees today. Oh, yes. Perfect. Well, heat things up wonderfully. So, Matthew, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, where you're from, what you do in business. Sure. So my background, I'm an accidental salesperson. I think I'm a creative at heart that ended up in selling somehow and managed after 25 years of application to try and get something to stick and have kind of developed systematic ways of selling services specifically, but also you know, e-commerce or, or retail or whatever you might be, a construction, whatever it is you might be selling. And I found that what I'm better at, and it's all trial and error, you know, I just hit 43 years old, but I realized that where I enjoy myself, the intersection between where I enjoy myself and where I'm most useful is when I'm helping non-salespeople get to grips with the fundamentals of selling. 
because selling traditionally for many of us seems to be you know slightly terrifying practiced by people who can't be trusted with delivery or accounts or paperwork or anything like that and so the people who are typically good at delivery like the technicians the dentists the architects the, the accountants have always been dissuaded from selling because the sales department and every organization is made up of live wires and mavericks who drink whiskey and smoke cigars and so on and so forth. So what I try to do is marry those two worlds. So you don't need to be a whiskey drinking, cigar smoking maverick in order to understand the fundamental steps that you have to go through to take somebody through the sales slide or through the sales dance or through the sales process. And I got started by accident in my teen years when my father was too tight to give me any an allowance. He didn't give me pocket money. I didn't get any cash. I went out and I had to earn my own and I earned it by busking in the street. I was a juggler and I started to realize very quickly that there was a direct correlation between asking for money and receiving money. Just standing in the street and throwing juggling clubs in the air wasn't (laughs) enough to persuade people to put their hands in their pockets. But very often suggesting that people might like to make a contribution if they'd enjoyed the show was enough to persuade people to put their hands in their pockets. So persuasion is can be, you know, a blunt force tool. Hey, if you enjoyed it, give me some money. And I learned that and I learned then, you know, various nuanced ways to increase the likelihood. If you smiled, they were more likely to give you more. If you complimented them before you smiled, then they were more likely to give you more. And lo and behold, if you suggested an amount price anchoring. I had no idea. I was 14. But I said, look, if you buy me a, an ice cream, then give me two pounds. And they'd be like, okay, fair enough. Yeah, we'll do that. You know, instead of 20 pence, which is what might have come before. So I then ended up accidentally selling timeshare in Malta, which was a baptism of fire. I was 20. I worked in bars and, and things like that, but real direct sales then 23, 24 years old. And that was absolutely eye-opening. We had Ziegler-style morning motivation meetings with dry ice and DJs every single morning at eight o'clock. It was Wolf of Wall Street-style stuff. And I've started to realize there was a whole body of literature devoted to selling. And I got absolutely fascinated by the psychology of sales and persuasion and read everything that was available to me. I was a mediocre timeshare salesman. And I think part of that was the product was something which I knew was dodgy. I mean, maybe I'm being too kind to myself. Maybe I'm just not a very good salesperson. But yeah, when my mom and dad came to visit and they said, oh, could we come and do a tour of your resort? I said, no, you've got to stay far away because these guys are sharks and the product isn't very good. And I thought, well, actually, what if I could take all of this knowledge and apply it to something else? So I ended up in professional sales doing recruitment. I owned a recruitment company and I realized that as a company owner, There's a whole set of skills and responsibilities that you've got to have. And I was essentially a cigar smoking, whiskey swilling maverick (laughs) and didn't want to do any of those things. So I. What do you mean, were? Well, thanks, Tom. You know, like I said, I'm in my my 40s now. We met over a decade ago. So uh, I think decided to cut loose from that and focus on the bits that I really enjoyed about being a, a recruitment company owner, which was selling and training my salespeople. And I thought, well, if I could sell sales training, then I'd be the happiest man in the world. And that's pretty much what I've done ever since for the last 15 years or so. And I've done it through various iterations for myself, alongside Michael Port at Book Yourself Solid. For a couple of times, I was his right-hand man, and then I took over the company actually until recently. And I help people, again, who haven't been trained in selling, but they have got some other technical skill. 
And I help them marry their desire to make a decent living from their technical skill with the ability to actually make a different, a decent living. So they have the desire and I show them, well, look, here are the processes and the skills and the knowledge that you need to have in place. And I try to keep things as simple as possible, really okay. as simple as possible. Okay. So with that background and all that being said, my people are real estate investors of all levels, beginner and immediate advanced. Everybody can use improvement in their sales, savvy, their sales skills, their sales ability, which is exactly the path you've been through and exactly what you help people with. So where would you start on making people better at sales? Well, good question. Selling, I believe we all have a sales muscle inside of us. And I like that analogy because the way that we treat the muscles in our body, if we want to make them strong and useful and serve us for a long time, is pretty much the same way that we approach training the sales muscle. There is a ton of nuance. There are kind of 3% differences that we can make to our macros and to our supersets and to our small twitch muscles and so on and so forth, but they all count for nothing unless we show up to the gym and we have good form. So if we're going to, you know, 80% of our results will come from doing the foundational elements right. And you don't need to learn funnel design. You don't need to learn alternative closes. You don't need to learn the ascension model. You have to get a couple of very basic things in place. The first thing I would say is that you, know, you can read about going to the gym and you can have enormous knowledge about physiology and exercise, but unless you put in the reps, it's all for nothing. And the good thing about the sales muscle, unlike the muscles in our body, is that even if we don't have very good form, we're not going to injure ourselves. So you could make an absolute dog's dinner of a month or a year's worth of sales approaches. And it doesn't mean that you don't have 100% capacity to do a better job tomorrow. Whereas you can you know, overtrain in the gym or damage yourself in the gym and it will lay you out for six months. So every day starts afresh. You so the nothing first, to lose by trying. Yeah, precisely. So you know, many people typically hire me to help them improve the amount of sales that they're doing. And they might say, I'm stuck, I'm lost. You know, I've been in business for three years, but for the last three months, I haven't made any sales. And so my next question would be, well, how many sales offers have you made or how many sales conversations have you made? And they will get quiet and they'll look over here and they'll go, well, you know, my cat's been sick and the market is down and uh, I've had the flu. And I'll say, right, so no sales activity equals no sales. And they say, well, when you put it like that, I say, thanks very much. That'll be $10,000. And so that's the first thing. There is absolutely no question that there's a direct correlation between meaningful sales activity, asking people, would you be interested in buying my thing? Would you be interested in sitting down and talking about this opportunity? Are you in the market for and how many sales you make? Because the old adage from Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, that we should always be closing is nonsense. We should always be opening. We should always be creating opportunity. And creating opportunity is as easy as saying, are you interested? Would you be interested? I've got to think. Now, a story I like to tell because it's true and interesting 
for me at least, is when a personal trainer came to me, similar issue, you know, hadn't made any sales, hadn't made any sales approaches. And so one Saturday, I sent him to the local shopping mall. And I said, just walk up to 100 strangers. And don't even want you to think about a script, just say, I'm a personal trainer, would you like to buy some stuff? And he came back the next week, he goes, you won't believe it. I said, I will. He goes, I spoke to 100 people, and three people actually said yes. I said, well, that's great. What script do you use? And he goes, well, I can't even remember. He said, I probably said something like, would you like to buy some personal training services? And I said, that's great, because we've got a baseline. And then we can start to focus on the form. Are we talking to the right people? Is the shopping mall on a Saturday the best place to go? Are we specializing? Do we have a target market? Are we appealing to the interests of our prospects? Are we warming up? Do we have a keep in touch system? And that's the second part. We can practice excellent sales hygiene by not allowing opportunities to slip through cracks. Somebody somewhere said, you know, the average prospect needs to hear from us 18 times or 72 times. I don't know whether that's true. I don't know who replied to that survey. I didn't to get that data. But I do know that keep in touch and getting back to people when if they say now isn't the right time, which is what you're going to hear 60% of the time if you're doing it properly. Again, nuance, maybe that's not true, but you're going to hear not now a lot. You're going to hear yes, no, or maybe later. And if you don't keep in touch with those maybe later people by saying, oh, great, shall I contact you again in three months? And then actually putting it in your diary and then actually doing it, they will say, oh, thanks. I was just thinking about you the other day. Or they might say, well, no, thanks, but maybe next year. And what you have then, your pipeline is perpetually stuffed. You need to add new people to it. But using a decent keep in touch system, I like email marketing, but it could also be one-to-one, you know, text message. How's your mother? How's your brother? How's your uncle? Want to have a coffee? What's going on? Oh, you're moving house again. Should we talk? So on and so forth. Asking for referrals, things like that. The activity and the careful documentation of a diary are frankly the most elemental things for most salespeople. And the diary being a calendar for your American cousins. Right. I know I'm stating the obvious. And the longer I do this kind of work, the more I realize that I'm going to be repeating myself for the next 20 years. And we can help, you know, we can, us people in my profession, we can help you get better results from the existing data that you have, from the prospect database that you have, from the words that you're using to encourage people to raise their hands, the crafting of the offer, the decoration of how attractive it is. You know, often negative selling is deeply attractive to the right people, but in order to, negative selling is when you say, you can't have this, and they say, no, give it to me. And you go, no, you don't qualify. Perfect example would be, what's his face? I'm getting old, I forget names. Bernie Madoff, perfect example. You know, he built such an undercurrent of desire. And it's a shame that it was a, a house of sand, but much like, you know, the Amex Black, the, Amex, the Centurion card, you know, yes. the American Express Centurion card, you can't apply. Well, you can, but it will be ignored. But that makes it even more desirable. So, you know, when we get these little spots, something has become available. There's, so there's all sorts of nuance that professional sales coaches or sales trainers or sales professionals can help exploit to increase your numbers from X percent to Y percent. But if there's no foundation, if there's no baseline, if there's no prospecting, if there's no inviting people to have sales conversations, we can't conjure magic out of thin air. So I like to give away the here's how you sell more and sell the, well, let's improve your sales numbers. 
You see, so my business model is talking at great length about the basics that people can do. You know, if, how many, when I was running a recruitment company, and this is deeply unattractive in the age of social media, when we can talk, I can talk to 5,000 people with every LinkedIn post. Yeah, but you're not really, are you? Unless you are, and that's where the interesting conversation comes in. But when I was running a recruitment company, the young men, because they were almost exclusively men who were attracted at, in the early 2000s to my company, who picked up the phone the most, made the most sales. And these boys didn't even have life skills. You know, they were drunk and ugly to a man, you know? And yet I was able to help them. I was able to improve their results over time because they weren't afraid of hearing no thanks. And that's a big thing for the vast majority of proud, in the best sense, individuals who don't want to sully their name or their reputation by coming across as being too commercially minded. We don't want people to cross the road to avoid us. So we avoid having commercial conversations with them. And I think that's great. I think that's not wrong in many cases, particularly in the UK, Tom, you know, I know, but no, not particularly in the UK. In the States, you believe and adhere to the idea of the American dream and rabid commerce more than we do perhaps in Europe. But I still see an awful lot of reticence. I'm talking to this person. It's all going well. Should I ask them all this free? You know, I'm doing free consulting. Is it time for me to ask them to give me some money? Nobody ever gets offended ever when you say, would you be interested in buying my thing? People get offended when you don't listen to their answer. Gotcha. Now that's an important point because going for the kill, so to speak, asking for the sale, that's the part that I think frightens the living daylights out of everybody. Yeah, because it's about changing the nature of the relationship with the person that you're talking to. So if you and I are getting on really well on the golf course or over a dinner, or we would get on well on the golf course, Tom, because I can't play golf, so I'd make you look like an absolute champion. Neither um, can I. <laughs> well, maybe we're not meeting on the golf course then, but we could be getting on great. We might meet at a networking event, we might meet at a conference, and I'm thinking, oh, I've made a new friend, or this person thinks highly of me. And this person is asking me interesting questions about my profession. I don't want to ruin it by going in for the kill. Yeah. Which is why what we want to do is open instead of close. So rather than say, hey, I've got a thing, would you like to give me your credit card details now? You open the door. You just you slide into a sales conversation by making a suggestion that you have something that can help them if you do. So what is it you do for a living? Oh, well, I help small business owners sell more. Oh, that sounds interesting. Tell me a bit more. Well, you know how you know small business owners often need help selling and so on and so forth, et cetera, et cetera. And they might say to me, well, you know, how do you manage all your data? Because that's the job that they're in. They're in data management or CRMs or, you know, I spend a ton on technology running this business from a distance. And I'd be like, oh, well, you know, I've got this CRM system and this autoresponder system. And, this, and they might say, oh, well, how's that all working out for you? I go, man, it's a ton of pieces to stick together. And they might say, oh, well, you know, that's interesting because I work with an organization that has an all-in-one solution. Do you want to find out a little bit more about it? And I'd be like, oh, I'd love to. Or I might say, no, 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 I can't be bothered right now. And they'd be like, oh, well, if that ever changes, let me know. So if I'm talking to somebody, maybe a, a real estate investor, and I say, what do you do for a living? And they say, well, I'm a real estate investor. And I say, how's business? And they go, oh, well, you know, it's pretty good. Could always be better. I'm like, oh, yeah, what are the opportunities for it to be better? They're like, well, you know, there's some, some 
you know, whatever, I don't know, I don't know your industry well enough, but it could be, you know, the opportunities aren't coming through or I'm losing out to the competition or I don't know how to have sales conversation or I always get pipped at the post in last minute negotiations or something. I might say, well, look, would you be interested in getting some help improving that? And they might say yes, or they might say no, or they might say it depends. And if they say yes, or it depends, then I can say, well, look, I've got a few sales training courses that might be interesting for you. Shall I send you through some details? Yes, please. And all of a sudden, you know, we've just gone very gently from, I do this, you do this, to, hey, I might be able to help you. Do you want to find out? I very rarely say no if I'm genuinely interested in the outcome. A lawyer did the other day. I was talking to a lawyer about an immigration issue. And he said, look, my firm, you know, we were at Sunday lunch. And I was aware that it was his lunchtime. Uh, but we ended up talking about this immigration issue. And he said, well, look, my firm kind of specialized in this. Do you want me to set you up with a no obligation chat with one of our associates? And I said, you know what? I would love that. Thank you. And what was I then doing? I was having a sales conversation by appointment. Yes. All it took was for him to say, maybe we could help you professionally. Awesome. And with no obligation. So earlier you mentioned your one client that went and asked 100 people in a shopping mall if they're interested in personal training. Opening is the key and getting conversations open and going and then easing into it and finding what's there. But it, what if the thought of opening up 100 conversations with total and complete strangers, what if that scares the living daylights out of you? How do you overcome that fear? You don't have to sell. Okay. You know, I used to say that I could transform the most reluctant salesperson. But it's like going to the horses and saying, oh, there's a lame horse. I'm going to put $100 on it because I believe in transforming you know, the underdog or the... <laughs> If you are utterly convinced that you can't sell, then I don't really want to work with you, to be honest. You know, I'm not, it's like the, I don't know if you've ever been to a live hypnotism, a live hypnotism show or a stand-up comedy. Sometimes they have hypnotists. And the hypnotist always says, look, if you're one of the people who's here to prove that I can't hypnotize, you win. I'm not interested in, you know, because if you come in saying, I'm never going to ever sell, it's almost impossible. Yeah, we could do some role plays and I could stand over you. I would say, go and talk to this person. But I think a lot of, you know, we can kind of speak things into existence. And if we say, I will never be any good at selling, then that's fine. But if you're somebody, and this is a really important point, this is the, you know, if qualification of the person in front of you is something that is of absolutely critical importance in the sales cycle, depending on the value of what you're selling, the specificity of what you're selling, if you're selling, you know, chocolate bars, in a neighborhood bodega, you don't need to qualify anyone. You know, do you have 60 cents? Great, you qualify to buy this chocolate bar. This candy bar is yours if you've got the money. But typically, if we're selling professional services or if we're selling expertise or if we're selling real estate, if you've got a, a shorefront property, I don't know, down in Florida or something, and you're trying to sell that, you're probably not looking for a first-time buyer who is working for the minimum wage. You're probably just not. And that's very simple, isn't it? And the temptation for many people, especially at the beginning of their sales journey, is to invest a lot of opportunity in anybody who expresses interest. So, oh, and I still do it today. And I know that I'm doing it. I launched a $24,000 email program the other week. It's kind of licensing, copywriting, done for you program. And I had a couple of emails come in from people who I know very well, and because maybe they're clients of of one of my other things, and they're like, I am definitely interested in this. And I made a call because I had very good 
information. They were qualified. I wasn't guessing. I wasn't assuming. I wasn't disqualifying them without knowledge. But I said, you know what, Bob, Tom, Jim, this one isn't for you, but let's touch base if something else comes up. Because alternative would have been, well, let's engage in interaction back and forth when they were automatically disqualified. I disqualified myself the other day from something. I was looking at a technology for solution for chat. It was, you know, automatically chatting to potential customers on social media in order to drive them to your list and drive them to your sales page. And I was convinced I wanted it. And the lady who was an absolute force of nature who was selling this said, look, here are the qualifying criteria. You've got to have at least 10,000 followers and you've got to have X amount of traffic coming to your site every month. And I was like, oh, well, that's not me. So I'm not, I'm going to disqualify myself. And by her saying that, she saved herself a ton of time. I have, you know, a time wasters. Fluffers, Tom. Some prospects are fluffers. <laughs> they tease you, they tickle you, but they never seal the deal. You never get to the money shot. And we invest a lot of our time in hoping that these flaky opportunities will come to fruition when we should be disqualifying people out of our sales process, not out of our lives, not with anger or resentment or insult, just by saying, I'm going to go after some whales today. I'm going to focus on the whales. I'm going, or the minnows, whichever your market is. And depending on who your market is, dictates what you need to go fishing for them. If you're going to you know, catch salmon, you need to take your tickling hands. If you're going to catch minnows, you need a big net. If you're going out whaling, this is a horrible analogy, but you know, you need a harpoon <laughs> and, a, and a ship. And a big old a giant harpoon. Yeah, right. So the, so your question was, if someone just doesn't want to have 100 sales conversations, I get it. Nobody wants to have 100 sales conversations. But the fastest way to get comfortable with doing something is to do it. And there's no question. When I made my first cold call in the recruitment business, I was shaking. I knew everybody in the office was listening. I was nervous. The second call wasn't much better. The third call wasn't much better. The next day, I felt a little bit more comfortable. By Friday, I was, you know, I was walking around with a headset on like I own the place, but it was only because I did it. You know, it's like cold water exposure. Gotcha. Make those first few calls, make the first few effort and relax because it doesn't have to be a sales call. You could be offering help, offering assistance, offering help, moving them ahead. So it feels less salesy, even though it's still a sales call. My favorite opening line when I was doing outbound corporate sales on the telephone was... Tone of voice was very important because I don't know about you, but if you receive a call from a telemarketer, you can tell by their second syllable whether or not they're a telemarketer. Hey, Mr. Zeeb, you know, like, oh, no, I'm not interested. <laughs> and the same is true in corporate selling. Hello, my name's Matthew. I'm calling from Target Recruitment. I wonder whether I could speak to the head of procurement for IT. They'd be like, no, he's not available. He's not available. Instead, I would say, Hi, not sure if you could, I've probably even got the wrong number. Look, I would really like to explore working with your company. Who do I need to talk to? And they'd be like, well, what kind of work? And I'd be like, well, recruitment. And to, oh, I don't know, human resources, procurement, IT management. They'd be like, okay, you probably need to speak to Mr. Smith. He's in a meeting right now. He's always in a meeting. Mr. Smith's in a meeting, but I'll let him know that you called. I say, thanks very much. And I would write down in my CRM, Mr. Smith. That's all I needed to know. I needed to know the name of the contact person who I need to talk to. And then I call back and I say, hi, I called earlier. Don't know. Mr. Smith there, please. And you don't have to sound like a salesperson. You don't. You absolutely don't. And in many cases, I think confidence is important. You have to show confidence in your ability to deliver whatever you're selling. But you don't need to show up like Tigger 
in Winnie the Pooh bouncing around and being full of exuberance and enthusiasm. Some of the most effective salespeople I've seen, particularly in the corporate space, have been script readers. They were like, you know, here's the qualification script. Are you or is somebody you know in possession of a corporate credit card? Yes. Is that you or is that somebody who else who works in your department? What is the name of the person who works? It was just, you know, the process. And that's the other thing. Process is super important. You can't wing it. You can't improvise. You can work around a framework, but if the framework isn't there, then you're not doing yourself any favors because it means you can't learn from your mistakes. Gotcha. And that confidence, that also builds, because I think a lot of people feel like they don't have any confidence at the beginning, particularly in selling. selling. So is it a matter of, Get started, dip the toe in the water, make those initial few calls, challenge yourself to do it. And then, like you said, by the end of the week, you're walking around making the calls like a natural. Is it does your confidence build through that process as well? Or is there another secret to it? You can never be confident that the person in front of you is going to buy something. Generally, of course, there are situations when you can. But as a general rule, that's the wrong thing to be looking for confidence in. You want confidence in the process instead. The mountaineer at the bottom of Everest isn't confident that he's going to summit. He hopes that he will. He hopes that the conditions will be favorable, that he doesn't get injured, that a, a fellow climber doesn't get injured, that the you know weather doesn't turn. But he's pretty confident he can take the next step. And that's what it is. Have you qualified the person? Have you made sure that they're a good person to be speaking to? Have you presented your products and services? Have you given them the opportunity to say no? There are probably more steps than that. But if you just say, what's the next thing I have to do? I am a great mental masturbator. I spend an awful amount of time daydreaming about offers and packages and things that I could put out into the world. And they only ever become real when they go from being ideas to being offers. So I've had this idea for this done for you email package. So I like, I love building rapport through email. I think that's one of the best things to warm people up. When we're speaking to a prospect, we want them to be really warm. And there are various ways of warming them up to us before we speak to them or in between when we speak to them, video, email, information products, literature, books, audio, that all helps. Anything which gives us a slightly unfair advantage. Because if I'm going to buy something off you, Tom, or one of your competitors who I don't know anything about, I'm going to buy from you. You know, all other things being equal, that familiarity is very, very important. And that I have a podcast, I have an email newsletter, I encourage people to do things. But until I made it, so I spent weeks thinking about this, you know, relatively high ticket email product. And then when I sent an email and had way more people than I anticipated write back and say, yes, I'm interested, I was again handed that lesson over and over again, that if you're not making offers, then you can never predict how the market will respond. You just can't. If you look at the most successful salespeople and probably the most successful business owners, there is a level of intelligence, but there's also a level of insulation from being too caught up in the judgment of others. They're slightly more bulletproof. Not to say they're insensitive, But if you listen to everybody else, your family, your neighbors, you know, the other people in your mastermind who haven't yet done what you're doing or the naysayers, or even more perniciously, that little voice in your head, which says, you can't do this, then you're more likely to make fewer offers. 
I believe. And you're more like, you know, less likely to get that six pack and so on and so forth. We, I would say, don't trust, verify. That little voice in your head that's saying you're no good at selling, don't trust it. Test, just test. That little voice in your head that says you can't go and speak to him or you can't go and speak to her or don't ask for her number because she's not into, she's not into guys like you. I would like, you know, that was, it's only in dating and there are a ton of parallels between, you know, dating and selling when it comes to creating opportunity for meaningful relationship, meaningful transactions. You know, <laughs> don't ever second guess or mind read what your prospect is going to tell you because you very rarely are correct. You know, just do what you have to do. Make the offer you need. Do what to you make. have to. Don't make Let anybody uncomfortable. Do. Don't do anything illegal. Don't do anything creepy. Don't do anything sleazy. Don't do anything weird. But always be opening, right? Give somebody the opportunity to respond positively or negatively. And like I said earlier, listen very carefully to what they say back. Because it's when we are ignored as prospects, as buyers, that we get angry. I would like to no longer have this conversation. Sure. Well, let me just ask you, why are you no longer interested in having this conversation? No, 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 no. I don't have to justify this to you. Oh, no, I'm sure. Just for my data collection purposes, I'd be interested in you filling in this form. Yeah, it's like trying to cancel a software subscription that makes you jump through 15 hoops. And wait, before you go, would you like a 75% discount for the next three years? And it all feels a bit icky. So if you don't feel like making it, listen, if... Maybe you're not the best salesperson for your organization, but we can all improve the quality of our lives by recognizing that if we ask for something, there is a much higher possibility of us receiving it. And you can apply this to your actions as a buyer as well as your actions as a seller. You know, I was in a restaurant with a, a friend a couple of years ago and he'd been on an nlp course and he said let's try this thing and i was like oh, okay, go on all right let's try it. he's like i'm gonna see if i can get us a free bottle of wine and i was like oh okay listen but just don't embarrass me because i have to come back here you know don't tell them that the current one is corked or you don't like it or anything like that he goes oh, no, i'm just gonna ask for a bottle of wine and i said okay and the waiter came over and he said you know we're having such a wonderful time here and the waiter went, oh, i'm so glad there's anything i could do to make it better and he said, well, it's funny you should ask, because what would be the cherry on the cake this evening is a bottle of wine, compliments of the house. Yeah. And the waiter said, sir, let me see what I can do. And we got a free bottle of wine, just like that. <laughs> I mean, it was a, it's a shit bottle of wine, but it just <laughs> goes to show, doesn't it? You can, if you'd be amazed, can I try? When you're in the grocery store, can I have a grape? You get to eat the grape. <laughs> you know, it's tough, but don't be so afraid. You know, and, and I was watching the Ed Sheeran documentary on Disney Plus this weekend, which is absolutely brilliant, by the way. And if you want to see the tenacity of somebody who understands the power of getting the reps in, then it's him. He said, you know, when he was a teenager and his peers were doing one or two gigs a week, he was doing three gigs a night. He said, I'm just going to get my reps in. I'm just going to, you know, just going to get three gigs a night. And he would go from on the tube, from one to the next to the next, while his friends were doing maybe one on a Saturday, maybe one on a Friday, three gigs a night. And he would do anything. He'd do hip hop clubs. He'd do jazz clubs. He'd do comedy clubs with his guitar. Absolutely brilliant. But he said, I believe in speaking things into existence. And so without sounding too hippie or dippy or trippy, Sales is about speaking opportunity into existence. Tom, I would love to work with you on your email campaign because I think I might be able to offer you some improvement. Now, I've planted a seed and that might lead to absolutely nothing, 
which is great. If I follow up, it's more likely to lead to something, but there's still an opportunity that, you know, that seed has just been planted. And if you're a podcast listener listening to this or watching this video and you want to get in touch with me because you think I might be able to help you in your specific situation, please do send me an email. And these things kind of non-weird opportunities for self-enlargement and for sales enlargement are directly linked to making the ask and not being afraid to make the ask. Now, the opening of a good negotiation happens to be pretty much everything you just said in sales. They're overlapping circles and they blend well together. What would you paint as the difference between sales and negotiation? You know, I'm not an expert when it comes to negotiation, but I've done some reading and you know, I had a slight professional interest in it for a little while. I would encourage a salesperson probably to have an earlier walk away point than a negotiator. Very often, now a good sales transaction and the end result of a good negotiation is when both parties leave with a smile on their face. You know, if I'm buying something from you, Tom, then that might not be true in negotiation, but I believe it's true in sales. You know, you, I want to buy your expertise. I'm going to pay you an amount of money I deem is worth your expertise. In fact, I hope I'm getting a deal. And you are happy to receive my money in exchange for, because you recognize that that's a fair exchange as well. When it comes to negotiation, I, you know, again, speaking from a position of, of relative ignorance, I understand that you always have to know your walkaway point. You're never going to pull your pants down and hopefully never pull down the pants of the person in front of you either when it comes to negotiating. But I would allow a salesperson to be more aggressive in both the pursuit and the abandonment of deals because typically there's plenty more opportunity in the world of sales than there is in the world of negotiation. So in the world of negotiation, there will be a, you know, an asset which is being negotiated over, and that might be the most valuable thing in the room. And both parties are happy to get their heads together and work out what deal is going to be cut to move that asset. Now, there might be deals everywhere. I don't know. But in sales, there are always deals everywhere, always. Don't be afraid to cut your losses, move on to the next. Negotiation might well be worth sitting there for another 10 minutes and pounding things out or another 10 days or another 10 weeks or whatever that might be. I wouldn't allow a salesperson of mine to invest a day in negotiating with a prospect, but I'd allow them to revisit that prospect in a few weeks' time. That makes sense. I think if I translated that into my world of real estate investors, Move faster on the prospects from the marketing side. Don't get hung up on anyone until you qualify them in. Then you can spend time negotiating with them because otherwise you start negotiating with someone who's not kind of sold or pre-sold in. That's right. In a good negotiation, the outcome will be incredibly valuable for the negotiator and might well be very scarce. You know, there are not unlimited high-rise blocks in the world that are available but in the world of sales, assuming that you're not selling submarines to you know small countries, there's not the deal just around the corner. Yeah, there's a nice interplay there where the, I think that getting better at sales helps the speed and getting better at negotiation will help with the ones that matter to you as a real estate investor. And I, I suppose I should say, Matthew, if improving your negotiation skills is something you're interested in, perhaps we should talk more. I will be following up with you about it, precisely that. <laughs> Terrific. Matthew. A fantastic discussion of sales and selling. Anything else we should add? Yeah, it's a game. It really is. You know, if you're in hostage negotiation, it's not a game. <laughs>
you know, if you're negotiating with the judge for your, you know, your plea deal, it's not a game. When you're in selling, it's a game. It's a game. Because if you invest, too, you'll always be disappointed. It's only natural and it's only human to be disappointed if you lose out on a big deal or, you know, something falls through before the contract is signed. It's completely natural. But it's really not the end of the world. You know, right. anybody who decides that they will learn selling can make a living in any economy. There will always be supply and demand requirements. And, you know, if you drop me in the middle of nowhere, I'd ask to borrow $1,000, buy $1,000 worth of something and sell it for $1,500. You know, this, if you can, rubber ducks, doesn't matter, you know, pencils, pens, stationery, clothing, it doesn't matter. If you can sell, then you'll never go hungry. And if you remember that, it can be an awful lot of fun. It's a play the game and have fun doing it. Exactly right. Fantastic. Matthew, if people want to get in touch with you, learn more about you, how should they do that? I would go to matthewkimberley.com. That's K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y. Although if you type it in wrong, you're probably fine. You could just Google Matthew Kimberley. I would really recommend... The first step in our relationship is get on my email list and, and write back to me to say, hi, I heard you courtesy of Tom Zeeb and what do you want to talk about? And we can enter into a conversation about, about how I might be able to help you. Or you can just sit back and enjoy my delightful emails. They are delightful. <laughs> awesome. Matthew, thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you, Tom. Thanks for listening. Your next step is to visit TomZeeb.com. There you'll find full show notes for this episode and all past episodes. Make sure you download a free copy of the Deal Flow Maximizer. This free resource will show you the five key marketing elements to get your first five deals. And if you're enjoying this content, share it with a friend and leave us a rating and a review. We'll be sure to read those out on future episodes.